The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by AnchorLight. For more information about all of AnchorLight's artistic and creative endeavors, please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. We live in an age that is truly obsessed with true crime. Much of the culture consumed in America today, at the very least, is about death. The top podcasts, the top movies, the best prestige series. They are all trading in on this hot trend. And I confess that I'm one of the people who gets really into this stuff. I was obsessed with Serial. I watched The Jinx with true relish and Making a Murder with true indignation. The People vs. O.J. Simpson was a favorite and Sterling K. Brown forever. I like a dose of true crime. I do feel guilty and sometimes pretty gross about it, but I do. I like it. And there's a special kind of thrill that I experience when these terrible stories come into contact with my work life, the art world. Because it turns out that even the rarefied world of art isn't immune to tragedy and mystery. I mean, no one or nowhere is, right? So that is why this season we are digging into tales of true crime and fine art. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. In season six, we are uncovering the dastardly deeds of several of art history's famed artists, including their involvement or participation in Murder Most Foul. Today's topic, was the artist and feminist crusader Anna Mendieta murdered by her artist husband? This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Donde esta Ana Mendieta? Where is Ana Mendieta? These are the questions that are printed on flyers and posters and are also commonly chanted by protesters outside museums like the Guggenheim in New York the Tate Modern in London, and the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. All three, plus many others, have previously held high-profile exhibitions featuring the minimalist sculptor Carl Andre. These protests are no rarities. Since 1992, whenever there is a showcase of Andre's work, protesters form their picket lines and voice their outrage. Why do these crowds gather so frequently outside these cultural institutions? The reason is controversial, to say the least. These protesters believe that Carl Andre is responsible for the death of his wife, the artist Anna Mendieta, something that has never been confirmed but has long been rumored. In recent years, this rumor has transformed Anna into an emblem of abuse of women, particularly women of color, at the hands of men. And for too long, there has been a real silence around this particular topic and the art world. When a museum, for example, chooses to showcase Carl Andre's work, are they condoning this systemic abuse? And what about the lack of representation of women suffering within these same hallowed spaces? All of these questions, and more, swirl around the figure of Anna Mendieta. Anna Mendieta was born in 1948 to upper-middle-class parents in Havana, Cuba. Her father was an early supporter of Fidel Castro, but quickly became disillusioned with the anti-Catholic sentiment spreading through Cuba, and he soon became involved in organizing counter-revolutionary activities. But such actions were dangerous, and he feared for the lives of his children. 
and so he arranged for Anna and her older sister, Raqueline, to come to America in 1961 through Operation Pedro Pan, a program that was organized by priests in Miami, which allowed approximately 14,000 children to leave Cuba and enter into the United States under the protection of the Catholic Church. Anna was 12 years old, and Raqueline was 14. Soon after arriving in Miami, Anna and Raqueline were sent to a reform school in Iowa, but then were separated for several years as they were transferred from foster home to foster home and further apart from one another. Anna undoubtedly felt abandoned by her family and likely experienced isolation and homesickness. Thankfully, this feeling didn't last forever because Anna was able to reunite with her mother and her brother only five years later in 1966. But she ended up not seeing her father again until 1979, 18 years after she left Cuba. As feared, he had been incarcerated for his anti-revolutionary activities and his disloyalty to Castro. He was right to send his daughters away. Anna's early experiences of exile and adaptation to a new home provided her with a fierce independence. After being exposed to cross-disciplinary icons like Marcel Duchamp and meeting with contemporary avant-garde artists at the University of Iowa, Mendieta threw herself into art making and experimentation. Much of what followed alluded to women, women's bodies, their connection to nature and the earth, and their manipulation and violence at the hands of men. In 1973, for example, she created several videos, performances, and photographs related to the rape and murder of a fellow student at the University of Iowa, a woman by the name of Sarah Ann Auden. In one performance, Mendieta tied herself to a table, naked and covered in blood, for two hours in order to approximate the time of the murder. She used blood as a primary medium in other ways, too creating a series called Body Tracks, where she dipped her hands and arms in blood before smearing them down walls. These performances were all documented through film or photography and are even startling and haunting today. Around this same time period, Mentietta began one of her most well-known series called Silhouetta. This series of photographs presents images of Mendieta's body imprinted into the ground in a range of natural materials, sand, stone, leaves, mud. In an artist statement from the 1980s, she described this series as being, quote, grounded on the belief in one universal energy which runs through everything, unquote. Through the imprint of her body on the earth, she symbolically becomes part of the earth, reveling closely in humanity's connection to our planet. But there was another aspect of the Silhouetta series that was equally important. Not only did it promote this human-slash-planet connection, but it also revealed the artist's further interest in continuing her feminist explorations. Some of the Silhouetta images are raw and visceral pieces, with Mendieta using blood or red paint as a stand-in for blood, centering in on the violence towards women. In one image, she presents herself lying on a blood-spattered rooftop under a bloodied white sheet with a cow's heart placed on her chest. In another photograph, she lies in an ancient Zapotec grave, again under a blood-covered sheet. As we can see, for many of Mendieta's works, blood is an important medium, something she describes as, quote, powerful, magical things, unquote, which she used to evoke female sexuality, but also to symbolize the horror of sexual violence. Like many artists, Mendieta felt the pull of a bigger city and a more vibrant artistic community. So after she completed her MFA at the University of Iowa in 1978, 
she moved to New York City, where she quickly became friends with like-minded prominent feminist artists and began exhibiting her work in earnest. In 1979, she presented a solo exhibition of her photographs at AIR, or Artist-in-Residence, Inc., which was the first all-female gallery to be established in the United States. It was a big coup for a still rather young and unknown artist. But this solo show wasn't just an important moment for the artist professionally. It was also an important one on a personal level, because it was at this gallery that Mendieta first met Carl Andre. And that's coming up next, right after this break. Stay with us. So many of us think that we do not have the time to learn a new topic or pick up another hobby, but we actually do when it comes to The Great Courses Plus. This educational streaming service makes learning so easy and super accessible. There are thousands of lectures on practically any topic you could think of with objective in-depth information from some of the best teachers in the world. And you don't have to make time to learn because The Great Courses Plus can fit into your schedule anytime, anywhere. That means that you can watch a lecture while you're on your lunch break or at the gym, or you can just listen along to the audio while you were driving or even washing dishes. I have been loving their course called Dutch Masters, The Age of Rembrandt. Rembrandt is one of my favorite artists, but it doesn't just cover him. This course also looks at works by Vermeer, Frans Hals, Jan Steen, Peter de Hoek, and so many others, so that you can understand the inspiration and evaluation of Dutch paintings from the early 16th through the late 17th century. So make learning a part of your daily routine with The Great Courses Plus. I've arranged for my listeners to get a free trial of unlimited access to the entire library, so you can check out everything from European art to a cultural history of food and everything in between. So sign up now through my special URL to start your free trial. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. It's the holiday season, so it's that time of year when everyone is running around thinking about the most thoughtful gifts that you can get for people that you care about. So why not consider giving your loved ones or even yourself a gift of membership to Audible? And now is the very best time to do it with a special offer. They are now giving you 53% off of your first three months of membership. With Audible, you can access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks that includes everything you could possibly want. Bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, memoirs. You get to choose three titles every month, and that includes one audiobook and two exclusive Audible originals that you cannot hear anywhere else. And plus, you can do it anytime and anywhere with the Audible app. I love it while I'm commuting or going to the gym, and it would also be so great with your holiday travels. And with Audible, you can also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, and you get your own audio library to keep forever, even if you cancel Audible. And right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. And that is more than half off the regular price. I am recommending that you read The Last Leonardo, The Secret Lives of the World's Most Expensive Painting by Ben Lewis. And if you are as fascinated with the ongoing saga of Leonardo da Vinci's Salvador Mundi as I am, then you have to read this book. It's fantastic. 
Right now, for that limited time, remember that you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That is more than half the regular price. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash artcurious or text artcurious to 500-500. Remember, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash artcurious or text artcurious, one word, to 500-500. Getting to the bottom of any health-related question can sometimes feel like you are trying to solve a puzzle that's just missing pieces. You have these symptoms and you want to know what's going on, so you visit doctors, try a new diet, exercise, get more sleep, only to get overwhelmed by time-consuming and expensive tests. Luckily, I found Everly Well at-home lab tests, and it will be a great go-to gift this holiday season to inspire better health for everyone on my giving list. Everly Well offers more than 30 at-home lab tests, from food sensitivity to thyroid to STD and heart health tests. And each Everly Well collection kit comes with these super easy to follow instructions. So you can collect your sample from home on your own time. And then once you send your sample back, it's processed in a certified lab. Your results are then reviewed by a board certified physician, and then they are sent to you digitally in just a few days. You can even choose to either keep your information private or share them with your healthcare provider. And the Everly Well digital platform helps break down exactly what all your results mean for you. Plus, if you want to set up a free discussion with a healthcare professional directly through the Everly Well platform, you can do just that. So to start learning more about your health like I did, check out Everly Well at-home lab tests. For a limited time, get 25% off an Everly Well at-home lab test at everlywell.com artcurious25 and enter code artcurious25. That's everlywell.com slash artcurious25, code artcurious25 for 25% off your test. Everlywell at-home lab tests. Your answers, your way. From the makers of BarkBox, meet Super Chewer. This monthly subscription box launched just a couple of years ago to cater to active dogs who play harder and demand a challenge. Each month with Super Chewer, you and your dog receive an innovative, immersive adventure, including tough toys and treats that are designed for dogs that chew harder, jump higher, run faster, and fetch further. Each monthly delivery includes two tough toys, two full-size bag of treats, and two meaty chews. And each month also celebrates a different surprise and fun theme, like fetch or puzzles. And there are also tips and tricks to make playtime together even better. All treats and chews are made in the USA and have allergy-friendly options that are available for pups with any dietary restrictions. Now, I don't personally have a dog, but I know and love many people who do. And Super Chewer is the perfect gift for my friends and family. It's the holiday gift that continues to deliver and will bring monthly joy to both your canine and human friends and make them happy all year long. Happy dog, happy owner. Plus, if you are not totally sure what your human or canine pals will prefer and you'd rather send a physical or a digital gift card, you can purchase a gift subscription online and then specify the date that you want the card shipped or the e-card emailed to the lucky recipient. I recently gifted one of my neighbors a Super Chewer box and her dog loved it. So much so that she immediately told me, we need to subscribe to this box. And then on top of that, the price is just right. You can get free shipping for life inside the contiguous 48 states. Super Chewer is a $45 value, but plans start as low as $29 a month. 
So celebrate your dog and the relationship you share with Super Chewer. Play harder together. Get 50% off your first Super Chewer box when you visit superchewer.com slash artcurious and subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan. Plus, get free shipping for life in the contiguous 48 states. That's superchewer.com slash artcurious. Remember, S-U-P-E-R-C-H-E-W-E-R dot com slash artcurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. In 1979, during the same period that she enjoyed her first solo exhibition at the AIR Gallery in New York City, Anna Mendieta was introduced to an artist who served on a panel discussion titled, interestingly enough, How Has Women's Art Practices Affected Male Artists' Social Attitudes? That artist was Carl Andre. Born in 1935 in Quincy, Massachusetts, Carl Andre was 13 years older than Anna Mendieta and well-established, having already become a major name in the world of minimalist art in the 1960s. By 1970, he had already had a major retrospective to his name at the Guggenheim. And in this way, and many, many others, Mendieta and Carl Andre couldn't be more opposite. Whereas Anna was lively, opinionated, and petite, Carl was often described as intellectual and aloof, whose towering stature was formidable. Carl was methodical and craved routine, while Anna seemed to thrive on spontaneity. Truly, this could have been a real case of opposites attract, with each individual acting as a counterpart for the other. But the differences expanded outwards to the professional, too. Widely regarded as one of the founding members of the minimalist art movement, Andre was a conceptual artist known for his austere sculptures that used unaltered raw materials like wood, steel, and bricks, often laid out directly on the floor. As artist Maya Garant stated satirically, Andre creates, quote, environments by delineating space in elegantly arranged stacks and configurations of industrial fabricated objects. It purposefully does not speak or articulate. It just is, unquote. In contrast, Mendieta's work was wide-ranging, heavily symbolic, and often personal as well as political. Either way, the couple fell madly in love for better or for worse and they careened together towards the 1980s. Much has been written about the couple's retrospective careers as the 1980s dawned. In fact, their career trajectories are yet another example of the couple's contrasting elements. After a slew of early successes and important retrospectives in the 1970s, demand for Andre's work fell in the early 1980s, and prices dropped accordingly. According to Sean O'Hagan, who wrote an article on Mendieta for The Guardian, Anna would often remind Carl about his souring career, especially when they drank, which was often. Mendieta's, of course, was gaining real traction at that point for the very first time, and in 1983, she won the prestigious Rome Prize for the much-lauded American Academy of Rome, a huge step in her career. She moved to the Eternal City and fell immediately in love with it, considering it a splendid hybrid of the historical nature of Cuba and the modernity and artistic creativity of New York. Thus, for the last few years of her life, she traveled back and forth between Rome and New York, making both her home and feeling inspired in each location. But her relationship with Andre wasn't so peaceful. Friends noted the strain on the couple, something that distance certainly didn't improve. And after a while, they chose to separate. But something changed, and the pair reconciled only to surprise friends and family by doing something even more shocking. In Rome in January 1985, 
they got married. The honeymoon period in the marriage of Anna Mendieta and Carl Andre lasted for most of 1985 when they returned full-time to New York after living in Rome for most of that year. And at first, the return home seemed to be a good one, with the two mired in apparent domestic bliss. But the fighting and the drinking so often commented upon by friends and neighbors began again, and a new source of tension mounted. Anna began suspecting that Carl was having an affair in Berlin, where he often traveled for work. Things grew dire, and they hit a very final turning point on the morning of September 8, 1985. It began like a really normal night, even by our standards today. Carl and Anna stayed in for the evening, ordered some Chinese food, drank a bottle of champagne, and watched a movie. But things didn't end so brightly. At some point in the early morning hours, Anna Mendieta plummeted from a bedroom window of their 34th floor apartment in New York's Greenwich Village, crashing horribly onto the roof of the deli next door. According to police accounts, the impact was so extreme that Anna's head left an imprint on the roof. She was just 36 years old. It's difficult to know exactly what happened because only two people were present for the actual event, Carl and Anna. With Anna's death, she was unable to share her own story, of course, to tell if her jump was suicidal or premeditated or if something more sinister was at hand. Still, Carl Andre definitely had his side of the story. When questioned by police, Andre at first claimed that Anna jumped from the window. In his 911 call, he claimed that she jumped in the aftermath of an argument about his art world status and her lack of it, all based not on their respective works, but on their gender. Unable to deal with a blatant gender bias, Andre said that he watched her leap out of their bedroom window and fall to her death. The evidence, though, didn't look so good for Carl Andre. When the police arrived on the scene, they encountered an apartment in complete disarray. There were four empty champagne bottles in the couple's bedroom, so not a problem necessarily, but perhaps worrisome considering the couple's history of drinking and fighting. More troubling was that Andre was discovered with scratch marks on his nose and his forearms, generally a sign as a victim fighting in self-defense. Had Carl Andre had a physical altercation with his wife? Did he murder her by throwing her violently out of their apartment window? Certainly, Andre's claim of suicide, which he continued to assert, was called into question immediately, not only by the authorities, but by Anna's loved ones. Friends and family pointed to another sign of her career star-making trajectory, an impending solo exhibition at the New Museum of Contemporary Art, one of the most famous spaces for the latest and most cutting-edge works. This was a huge coup. Anna wouldn't have killed herself when her career was at an all-time high. And not only that, but Anna was scared of heights, they said. Suicide by jumping from 34 stories seemed very unlikely, even if she was indeed suicidal. To them, it just didn't make sense. The final blows to Andre's story came from a doorman who claimed he had heard a woman scream, no, 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 in the early hours of September 8th, and who also claimed to have heard the sound of Anna's body colliding with the roof next door. The last problem was of Andre's own making, Though he had originally stuck to his story of suicide, he began faltering during his conversations with the police, noting that he was too drunk to remember what actually conspired that night. After just a couple of days, Carl Andre 
was arrested for Ana Mendia's murder. In the aftermath of Ana's death, there was a staunch division in the New York art world, and many people took sides. About Ana, friend and fellow artist Ron Fisher reported to the Washington Post, quote, she was really full of life, a vital person. I don't even think she'd ever think of suicide. That's not the woman I know, unquote. Naturally, Andre's friends and supporters came out in droves to defend him, maintaining that he wasn't capable of such an unthinkable act. Yet after three separate indictments over the course of the next two and a half years, Carl Andre was acquitted of murder charges on the ground that there was not sufficient evidence to definitively prove that he pushed Anna out a window during an argument. He was not guilty, it was deemed, because of reasonable doubt. Despite being exonerated for her murder, Anna Mendieta's death has continued to cast a long shadow over Carl Andre's reputation. Many of Mendieta's family members and friends remain convinced of his guilt, pointing to his inconsistencies in police interviews, as well as his request to be tried by a judge rather than a jury as damning evidence of his guilt. And yet Carl Andre's ongoing status as an art world legend, cemented even now further by the passage of time, has in many ways protected him. There have even been rumors in the past decade that a secretive group of influential art world figures has been actively engaging in so-called whisper campaigns to discredit Mendieta's personality, attempting to use it as evidence of her mental instability. In a 2011 New Yorker article on Carl Andre in anticipation of his 2014 retrospective exhibition at the Dia Foundation, the author, Calvin Tompkins, refers to Mendieta as, quote, volatile, enchanting, insecure, hot-tempered, and fiercely ambitious, unquote, and further suggests that she took advantage of Andre's established connections in the art world to promote her own, quote, unquote, morbid artwork. It wasn't the first time that Mendieta's work was used to prove her suicide. And naturally, I'm using prove in air quotes here. Description of her artworks were used during Andre's trial by his own lawyers, who cited her images as evidence of their theory of premeditated suicide. Mendieta's silhouette series, suddenly, was no longer about powerful womanhood or a forceful acknowledgement of abuse. Instead, it was a signal of a distressed mind, one plotting her own bloody death. It's a nasty theory, but it worked to set Carl Andre free. Since Anna Mendieta's 1985 death, her memory and legacy are forever tied to that awful night and to her rocky relationship with her husband. And though the cause of the many protesters who gather in front of institutions showing or supporting Carl Andre is indeed a very worthy cause, it also reduces Anna Mendieta in many ways to playing the role of the victim focusing less on her work and more on the circumstances surrounding her death. But wait, I hear you say, aren't those protesters also doing the good work of taking up the Mendieta mantle and ensuring that her own artwork is not forgotten? Well, yes, of course, and that is an awesome thing. But it might not be entirely warranted. Coco Fusco, a much-praised Cuban-American artist who knew Ana during her life, refers to her as a, quote, kind of postmodern Frida Kahlo, unquote, contending in the April issue of Art Review that Mendieta hasn't been overlooked. But, quote, on the contrary, she is one of the few Latin American artists of her era who is widely known and exhibited, unquote. Indeed, her work is included in over 50 public collections around the world, 
spread across the U.S., Latin America, Europe, and Australia, and including museums like the Guggenheim and the Tate, two institutions where protesters have bemoaned her absence in favor of Carl Andre and other male artists. Since 2004 in particular, she has attained more widespread recognition, with important exhibitions at the Hirschhorn Museum in Washington, D.C., the Whitney Museum in New York, and several shows in London. Reclaiming Anna Mendieta from her own life, and especially her own death, is the main hope here. But when her death was so infamous, so tragic, such an act becomes especially difficult. In the recent years since the hashtag MeToo movement sparked a revolution about harassment, violence, and oppression, it seems like Mendieta's art has been suffused even further, not only with the same concerns of Mendieta's original works, but also with the ongoing reminders of her demise. During Carl Andre's retrospective at the DIA Beacon in 2014, for example, a small group of Anna's supporters gathered and spilled a bag of chicken guts onto the pavement outside, a reference to Mendieta's early video work titled Moffat Building Peace from 1973, where she left a pool of blood on the pavement in Iowa City and filmed the reactions of people walking by. At a similar protest, women made their own versions of Mendieta's silhouettes in snowbanks outside Dia Beacon and embellished them with fake blood. This repurposing of Anna's original imagery re-engages with this narrative of her forced victimhood and taints the original meaning and nuance of her work. To confuse the blood used in her work with the blood of her death ignores its deeply rooted symbolism and is a disservice possibly to her memory. Now more than ever, it's important to remember Anna Mendieta for her work. Ambitious, challenging, and powerful. An artist who produced a large and enormously varied body of work centered on reckoning with and reclaiming her identity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Grace Harlow and Patricia Gomez. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. Our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. And social media help is by Emily Crockett and Caroline Holler. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki. Video, content, ideas. Learn more at kabonki.com. Additional editing is by Hannah Roberts. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. AnchorLight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, AnchorLight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. We are a fully independent podcast, and so we rely on sponsors, advertisements, and donations to keep us going. If you enjoy the show and have the means, please consider giving money to help us out, and thank you for your kindness and generosity. And if you don't have money to give, you can still help our show as well by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more details on our show, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Art Curious Pod. 
Check back in two weeks as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in the true crime realm of art history.